taking a little bit of a break from our What on Earth Am I Here For series. And so life groups have, they they took this past week off, and we're moving now into the two-week period where we're going to be discussion, we're going to be having discussions about this kind of racial reckoning that our society's been dealing with and and, and what it means for us as gospel people to embrace. And remember last week I talked about we learn together, we lament together, and and, uh, we love, you know, we love together, and we're wanting to move more intentionally into that. And so uh, Pastor Charles is going to give the second message in that series next Sunday, and, and uh, groups are going to meet this week to talk about this issue, and then also next week. And then, believe it or not, after that, we're going to be in Advent. I mean, you know, it's like we're, 2020 has been the longest and shortest year on record, I think. That's scientifically proven. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to just kind of, I always, oftentimes on Thanksgiving weekend, I think it's good for us to think about being thankful, having an attitude of gratitude. And to be honest, I think this is probably something we should talk about a little bit more intentionally, more than just once every year, but at least once a year, an opportunity for us to talk about the importance of having that, that thankful disposition. Now, now, one of the things is we, you know, our society, our culture has, has become this increasingly kind of entitled culture. People, are, people complain, just kind of able to take that light still flickering. I don't know if there's anything that can be done about it, but it would be be helpful if we could unflicker that light. Um, but uh, that, uh, you know, that it's, we just kind of take complaining to an art form. We love to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. And, and there's just a lot of, there's a lot of negativity. And I think that 2020 has really exacerbated it, has kind of made it worse. Expectancy, this is going to shock you, this is for the United States, was 47 years. Now, I saw this list of things, and I had to double-check that, because I'm like, that can't be right, but it is right. It was 47 years. So somebody my age, I think of myself as middle age. I think I've got lots of, lots of years to, ahead of me to be frustrated about my golf game and other things. But if, but if I lived 100 years ago, I'd already be living on borrowed time. You know, and, and, uh, and, and only 18, 14% of homes had a bathtub. 14% of homes had indoor plumbing. And so as a result... People would only shower, they'd only bathe about once a month. And so women would only wash their hair once a month. And it wasn't like you'd go to the supermarket and have all these like different products that you could have. You would wash your hair. Most women would use egg yolks or borax. That's what they would use to wash their hair. There were only uh, 8%, I think it was, yeah, 8% of homes had a car. But there were only 144 paved miles in the United States 100 years ago. So it was all dirt roads. The average worker made between two and $400 a year. And you would say, well, what does that mean for today? Well, what it means for today is the average worker made between $4,000 and $8,000 a year. And more than a third of what they earned went to food. Yeah, so it was like all just basics. There were, there, you didn't have disposable income. If you had enough that you could eat and you could keep a roof over your head, that was about it. That was about all you could hope for. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. Right? I mean, if I'm just talking about material comforts that we have, things that make life a little bit more comfortable, there's a lot when you think about 100 years ago. So this morning, I left my house at about quarter to seven, and it was 31, 32 degrees. But I was, even though my car is kind of old, I have a remote start. 
So I was able to, in my kitchen, I was, you know, I could press the remote start and, and start my car and let it kind of thaw, you know, so when I got into the car, it was nice and warm. And uh, I have this thing in my car, I have, I have seat warmers in my car, so I can press a button and, and my butt will be nice and warm for the whole drive, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be comfortable. You just think about, you know, the reality that, that we, our struggle for most of us, and I know I'm talking to different people, different socioeconomic levels, but I think it's true kind of for all of us. Our problem isn't that we ha- that we don't have enough food; it's that we have too much food, you know. And even for people like, like you know, if you're struggling, if you're dealing with some some food scarcity in your life, you know, go to our website and sign up, and we'll we'll get your food on a regular basis. Where you know God is, is is blessing us to be able to do that. But you know, we have this. We now not only do we have enough food to eat, we can just kind of take out our app. And I'm sure we all did this a lot, you know, especially during the pandemic, during the quarantine, and just through DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever it is, get anything that you want and have it delivered to your house within 30 minutes. You know, we, we complain about not having anything to watch or we're bored, but we've got like TVs and, and devices filled with all these apps and more than we could ever, we could ever, as far as entertainment, more than we could ever consume. All of us have to do this thing once a, probably at least once a year where you go into your closet, you go into your drawers, and you just kind of figure out what is it that you're not wearing anymore. And then you fill up bags of clothes that you can give away to other people. And so there's, there's so much that we have. It's amazing how blessed we can be, yet how ungrateful we can feel. And uh, I think, you know, the, the point of the, this message, why I think it's so important for us to spend some time thinking about this, is I don't think that there's anything you can do in your life that will be more transformative than making a choice, making a decision that you're going to live with an attitude of gratitude, that you're going to be thankful for the blessings that will be in your life. Psychologists and scientists have determined, this isn't theologians, psychologists have determined that if you are a thankful person, it will make you happier, it will make you more likable. It will make you physically healthier. It will make you better at your jobs. It will strengthen all of your relationships, your relationships with friends, your relationship with family. It will make you, it will increase your self-esteem. You'll sleep better. It will lengthen your life. It will make you more resilient. It will reduce stress. It will make you generous. It will make you encouraging. It will make you more hopeful. It will transform your life. So it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. Now, one of the things that people wonder about and they struggle with is, what is God's will for my life? You know, who, and usually when we think about that, we think about like, you know, should I get married? Where should I live? What should I do? What is God's call in my life? And that's, you know, we've been addressing a lot of that in the What on Earth Am I Here For series. But what this says here is, if you want to know God's will for your life, it is God's will for your life that you be thankful. It is God's will for your life that in everything you give thanks, and maybe you'll discover if, you start, if we start living that out, not only will we experience more happiness, experience more joy, live longer, sleep better, all those blessings, but maybe if we start there, it'll begin to kind of open up the pathways to really kind of show us what God has for us and where he wants to lead us. But it is God's will for you, every single one of us, that in everything you give thanks, that we learn how to do that. And so Jesus had this encounter with these 10 lepers. I want to read you this this story here. It's in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, now it says that they, they cried out in a loud voice. And what the Greek actually suggests is it was this like desperation plea. It was like from, from you know, this place deep within them, desperate, Lord Jesus, have mercy on. Maybe they had heard that Jesus had healed lepers. And so maybe they thought now there's, there's an opportunity for hope. And so they were absolutely desperate. And if you understood what it was like to be a leper 2,000 years ago, you can understand their desperation. Because just imagine you're living your life. You know, you're an Israelite. You're living your life. You're, you know, you're a mom. You're a dad. You got a job. You go to the temple. You have Sabbath dinner with your family. You know, life's good. But then all of a sudden you notice that you have this patch on your arm. And then everything that you have is gone. So you are immediately ostracized from everyone. You are immediate, You have to live outside of the city. You cannot go to the temple. You cannot be with your family. You cannot see them. Because it was such a contagious disease. Like you just lost everything overnight. Because it was such a contagious disease, they had to make sure that people could recognize that you were infected. And so one of the ways that, would, that they would mark you that you were infected is that by law, you had to tear all of your clothes. So you just would wear rags so people could see if they saw you coming with rags that you had leprosy and they could avoid you. You by law had to shout out whenever you were anywhere near people, unclean, unclean, unclean. And so in a moment, socially, Everything was gone. They couldn't tuck their kids into bed at night. They couldn't eat dinner with their family. No more hugs. No more social contact. All just gone overnight. And then physically, it was a nightmare. The symptoms would start on the skin, and it would attack first the peripheral nervous system, the brain outside of the part of the brain and the spinal cord, and then it would spread throughout the body. Your hands, your feet, your face, your earlobes. Patients with leprosy would experience like their bones would start to kind of curl up and they'd become disfigured. Their, their hands would become like claws. And then it would, it would start deforming their facial features. Their lips would thicken. Their ears would thicken. Their nose would collapse in on themselves. They would look grotesque. And so you'd have these tumors all over your body and, and the tumors would get into your respiratory tract so you couldn't breathe. It would attack your optic nerves so you probably would lose your sight. But most harm was caused by the fact that you lost your sense of feeling. And so, you know, that thing that we have, if we ever touch anything hot and we go, wow, that's a really good thing. Because what would happen to lepers is they would touch something hot and they wouldn't know it was hot. And so they would continue to hold on to it. And so they would burn themselves. They would lose limbs because they wouldn't be aware when they cut themselves and infections would set in. They would be horribly deformed. And so you can understand why these lepers cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And so with Jesus, he treated them a little bit differently than he did some other lepers. Because other lepers, we have, we have accounts of him healing people on the spot. But here, he didn't heal them on the spot. He, he gave them like a faith assignment. He said, go and present yourself to the priests. And he would do that to show that you were cleansed so you could rejoin society. And good for the lepers. You know, they could have easily had just been like, oh man, this isn't what we thought. We heard he healed Joe. And I don't know why he's telling us to go to the priest. So let's just forget about it. Let's go home. 
They, they took Jesus up on that challenge, and they started going to the priest. They, they kind of responded, you know, sometimes, this is a whole other message, but sometimes God will call us to have on-the-way faith, right? Anybody here experiencing on-the-way faith? There's something that God has promised you. You're not seeing it right now, but God wants you to go on your way, and as you go, as you move forth in obedience, you're going to experience the blessings of God. And, and so these lepers, to their credit, they responded to this challenge to have on-their-way faith. And it must have been an incredibly joyful moment. Imagine what it was like for these 10 lepers who had lost everything. As they're walking to, the, to present themselves to the priest, all of a sudden one of them, you know, maybe they were like, hey, Mike, your nose is back. Or your ears are starting to shrink down. Or your spots are, are drying up. And what an incredibly joyful moment it would have been. I mean, who can't, can't even imagine how joyful that, uh, that time must have been for these guys. And for whatever reason... Only one went back to give glory to God and to praise Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. And you know, that was a surprise because Samaritans were really looked down upon by by Jewish people at that time. But only one out of 10 came back. And this seemed to really surprise Jesus. And so my challenge to us today, when it comes to a society where we're, we're increasingly complaining, where it's never enough, where we're cynical, and we take, you know, just complaining, we raise it to an art form, and now we have social media to vent and to explain, let's strive to be that one out of ten. Let's strive to be that one out of a hundred, that one out of a thousand. And so what I want to give you today is, is four statements. And if you open up your app, another thing that we put in our app every week is fill in the blank notes. And so you can open that up. It's in the Sunday service part. All the scripture passages that I'm referring to, as well as all the main points, these, these four statements that I think can help. Because what I want is for you not just to hear a message and be like, okay, well, that was interesting. That was good. That was helpful. But I want our lives to change. That we would become people who live with this attitude of gratitude so that we can see more of the blessings that God has in our life. I don't know if there's anything that God calls us to do that's more connected to the blessed, abundant, happy life that Jesus has for us than living with this attitude of gratitude, than living a thankful life. And so four statements. The first one is, I know every good thing I have comes from God. Every good thing I have comes from God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So it starts with acknowledging that. What do you have in your life right now that you are thankful for? What gives you joy? What gives you hope? What gives you life? That is a gift from God. And maybe you might push back a little bit. You might be like, hey, listen, you know what? There's a lot of things I have in my life and I've worked for that. Maybe you might say, you know what, I I really worked hard at school and I sacrificed to get an education and my education opened up career doors and I'm kind of in a good place right now and it was, you know, I did really well at school. Well, you were a good steward with what you were given, but the intelligence that you have that enabled you to do well in school is a gift. You did not do anything to receive that intelligence, that there's nothing you did to receive that ability to process information and to figure out problems and retain information. That's a gift. Maybe you might say, well, you know what? Physically, I've worked really hard. I'm the first person at work every day. I'm the last one to leave. I work really hard. Yeah, you've been a good steward. But you know what? God is the one who gave you the strength to work so hard. 
And we all know people, and maybe you've been in that situation where your health was taken away, whether it was through COVID or whether it was through cancer or whatever it was. You know, it is a gift from God. Your health right now is a gift from God that you haven't earned, that you receive. And if that was gone, you wouldn't have the strength that you have. Your next breath, the Bible teaches us, is a gift from God. Now, my Apple Watch is constantly telling me to breathe. So I'm going to listen to my Apple Watch right now. I'm going to take a breath. And let's all just take a breath. That was a gift. That was a gift. Your next breath is a gift. The more we walk in that awareness, the more we live from this place, the more we're going to see the blessings that God has for us. So we realize that every good thing I have comes from God. The second statement is this. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetites. What that means is better what it, you know, to enjoy what is in front of you instead of focusing on what it is you're longing for. See, what we do, what happens when, we, when we're like, oh, I need to have this, and once I get this, I'm going to be good, and I got this next hill, and I got this next one. It's good to have goals. It's good to have things that you strive for, but what happens when we focus too much on what we don't have? It keeps us from enjoying what it is that we do have, and what Ecclesiastes says is it robs us. It robs us of being able to enjoy the good things that God has for us. Gratitude is miraculous. Because what gratitude will do in all of our lives, when we thank God for everything that we have, it turns whatever we have into enough. It turns whatever is before us into enough. It's kind of like the miracle of the multiplication of the fish and loaves. If you receive what it is you have, and remember in that story, in that account, Jesus gave thanks and then he broke it. Maybe there was more to it about the importance of thankfulness. It will multiply what you have and it will turn it into enough. The third thing is this. It's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. If you think that, well, once I get what I need, then I'm going to be thankful. And then I'm going to be happy. It doesn't work that way. If you right now, if you will start thanking God for what you have, if you will be grateful right now with what you have, God's happiness will flow into your life. The Greek word that's translated blessed or happy, it's the word makarios, joyful. And God wants his blessings, his joy, his happiness to flow into our lives. And there's nothing more connected to that makarios, that joy, than our being thankful. That it's going, it does, it does a, you know, a miracle in our lives when we begin to focus and it changes everything. And I love the way the Apostle Paul models this for us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Now, now, Philippians was written when Paul was in prison. A lot of the letters that Paul wrote that are part of our New Testament are known as the prison epistles. And so Philippians is one of them. He's in a stank, nasty Roman jail. He's spending his entire day uh, um, just connected to chain to a, a soldier. And so while he's chained to a soldier in a Roman jail, he writes, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so what Paul says, what I love about this is he says, 
I've learned to be content. I have learned to be content. See, being content, having this attitude of gratitude, isn't something that we just do. We learn how to do it. We have to grow in this discipline. Paul says the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. Now, Oprah talks about the secret, right? What, the law of attraction. That's not the real secret. If you want the Macarios, the blessed life, it's the secret of learning to be content in all circumstances. That will release joy and abundance and life into you. That will glorify God more than anything else that you can do in your life. And Paul is such an example of this. Because if you know about Paul's life, right? He's traveling all around the, the, the Roman Empire. And he's starting churches wherever he goes, leading people to Christ and healing people and raising up leaders and sticking around for a little while to see the church get started. Then he goes off to another town and he does the same thing. And then another town, he does the same thing. He's literally, God is using him to transform the whole known world, to start churches in every single city. And so the devil didn't like that. And the Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, they didn't like it. So they wanted to stop him. And so they would beat him. From time to time, they'd beat him. They'd beat him with rods. They'd give him 39 lashes. But Paul's attitude when he was beaten to try to get him to stop what he's doing, he's like, you know what? I'm content with this. I'm content that, that uh, I can share in Christ's sufferings. You know, Peter and John, they got beaten, you know, in the book of Acts, and they, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So he learned to be content even when he was, beaten, when he was being beaten. And then they said, all right, well, that didn't work. We beat you, but you're still going strong. You're like the Energizer Bunny, so we'll throw you in jail. And Paul's response to that was, all right, I can be content with that because I've been traveling all over the place, and I've been really busy, and, and I got some letters I got to write. Timothy's having a hard time. I got to write him a letter. The Colossians, they're kind of going through it. So you know what? I can be content with that because you put me in prison. Give me a little bit of a timeout. I can catch up on some of my correspondence. Plus... I'm going to be chained to a guard. Actually, three different guards because they would work in eight-hour shifts. So I'm going to have a captive audience. So I'm going to preach the gospel to these guards, and I'm going to tell them all about Jesus. And in Philippians, he even talks about the fact that some of the guards became Christians and were now going into the palace and were sharing the gospel in places that Paul couldn't go. So he's like, all right, if you want to throw me in prison, I'm good with that. I'm content with that. And then out of frustration, they're like, all right, forget it. We're just going to kill you. And Paul's response to that was, all right, all right, I'm content with that because I've had this dilemma because you know what? I met Jesus and Jesus is so beautiful and he's so wonderful. I can't wait to be with Jesus. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But I got all these churches. I got all these people. They need me. So I've been having this dilemma. It's almost like Paul had a choice. Go and be with Jesus, which is way better, or be here where everybody needs me. Be with Jesus. Be here. Be, you'd be taking that matter out of my hands. You'd be taking that decision out of my hands. So, okay, I can be content with that. And the point is, what do you do with someone like that? And the answer, you can't stop them. You can't stop them. Someone who has learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, the devil and mean people or whoever wants to come your way, this broken culture that we live in, will not be able to rob your joy, will not be able to take away the abundant life that you have. You will be living a life connected to God in, in just such a deep and transformative way. And according to the way the Bible talks about thankfulness, thankfulness has everything to do with that. And so we learn to be content. We learn to be content. We learn the secret of being content. Because once we learn that, then we come into freedom. 
Then we come into freedom because no matter what gets thrown at us, we know that it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter, you know, whether, like Paul said, whether I'm hungry or have everything, whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing, whether everybody loves me or everybody's mad at me, I'm able to be content in all circumstances because I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, that's where God wants to bring us. And thankfulness is the key to unlocking so much of this in our life. And then the last thing is this, that we make a commitment that I will turn every blessing, every good thing, every accomplishment, everything good that you have in your life, turn it into praise. Turn it all into praise. I will turn every blessing into praise. Not only will that draw you closer to Jesus and release his, his joy and his life into your life and miraculously transform whatever you have into enough, but it will also save you from pride. Right, the Bible says that God is opposed to the proud. And the last thing I want is for God to be opposed to me. I need God. I can't get by without him. I want him on my side. I don't want him to be opposed to me. God's opposed to the proud. And when we have accomplishments and we do things, but we're not thankful, we don't turn it into praise, then we think like, wow, look at me. Look at what I did. Look at all that I accomplished. Look at how much I've done. And so it protects our hearts against pride when we turn it into praise. Psalm 63, verse 4 to 5 says, I will praise you as long as I live. Make that declaration, not just during our you know, time when we worship together on Sunday, but I will praise you as long as I live, and our thanksgiving is a form of praise. I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. The psalmist is not saying that you'll necessarily have the richest of food, but what you have, you're going to, be a, you're going to probably be more satisfied than someone who has the richest of foods in front of them. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. See, it's all about our perspective. It's all about these, these really precious, important, gift, wonderful things that God has given us that we take for granted. And, and, and so we need to change our perspective. And I had something, Norm and I had something happen to us years ago that really kind of, I don't know, just impacted me, taught me this. We were at this lake up in Massachusetts where my family would vacation. And so I, I actually grew up going to this lake, and so it was fun to bring my kids. And there'd be other families that would come at the same, you know, week or two-week period. So, so there were some people that I'd known kind of all my life who would come. And, and so the kids were little, and so they're playing in this lake, and it's nice and calm. And so all the parents are sitting around talking, and the kids are splashing around, you know, not going over their heads, so it's safe. And to be honest, we weren't, like, I guess paying as much attention as we should have been. Because my son, who was about six would do this thing where he would swim underneath a raft, you know, like the little floating, like floating mattresses, right? So they would like to like swim underneath it and come out the other side. And so there was this one mattress, this one raft, this float that was really heavy. And so we swam under it. And what we didn't know is when he tried to come up, the raft had moved. And so we couldn't get up. And it was heavy enough that he couldn't even, he couldn't even break the surface of the water. And we had no idea this was happening. And so he's struggling. And fortunately, this guy named Joe was standing in like, you know, waist-deep water, and he saw this raft moving kind of erratically. And so he picked it up, and there was Andy gasping for, gasping for air underneath that. And so Andy was fine. He's just like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And then went back to playing. But Norma and I were like, what almost just happened? I mean, how different could this have been? And I'll tell you, for the next couple of weeks and months, we didn't complain about a lot. 
because we realize we almost had this like tragic, life-changing thing happened. And we would say, God, we just thank you so much that you had Joe see, see that raft moving and that you saved my son's life. And there's something that happens, almost like a spiritual exercise. When you think about the things in your life that are so precious to you, when you think about the relationships that matter so much, imagine what it would be like not having that person in your life. Now, I'm going to do a funeral this afternoon where people aren't imagining that. That's their reality. They lost their father. They lost their husband. They lost their friend. But it's good for us to think about that. Think about your health, you know, that you take for granted, but your ability to, to do what you do. Think about your faculties that you have. I mean, we all, you know, know that, that it's, it's a gift. It's something that we should be grateful for, that we're able to, to see reality and function in reality, and not everybody can do that. Think about the job that you have. Even if it's a job, it's kind of annoying. It's not your dream job, but hey, it's something that God has given you that provides, that provides for you, that we imagine us not having these things. And then when we're done with this exercise, there, there are those relationships. There's, you know, there's that job. There's, there's your health. And maybe we'll kind of go in with a different perspective. And just like what happened with Norma and I and our son, that we'll like say thank you from the depth of your being. Thank you for this gift that comes from you. Thank you Lord, that I have these people in my life. And even sometimes they might bug me. I, I'm so thankful that they're in
in any and all circumstances. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that we've had these few days to stop and be grateful. And I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that it would not be something that we do for a weekend, but it would be something we do every day of our life. Lord, I pray for everyone here, people who are struggling, people who are facing challenges, facing difficulties, facing want, facing hard situations, facing challenges, feeling betrayed, feeling rejected, feeling misunderstood. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to praise you in all circumstances, to thank you in all circumstances, Lord, that we would give glory to you through our thanksgiving. And so, God, I just pray right now, if there's anyone here who's discouraged, who's focusing on the problems and the issues and the lack, which is real in all of our lives, God, I pray that you give them the grace right now, to, as, as the hymn says, to turn their eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, the struggles of earth, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And Lord, that praise and thanksgiving and joy would just flow out of our innermost being as we look to you. I pray you'd give us grace not only to do that now, but that we would learn to be content in all circumstances for your glory. And if there's anyone here right now and you have not yet given your life to Jesus, it all starts with that connection with God that's available to us through Jesus Christ. And so if you have not yet opened up your heart to Jesus, this is the thing. You know, if you were to kind of, you know, poll this room right now, what we're most thankful for, the greatest blessing in our life is that Jesus loves us and Jesus died for us and Jesus has given us new life. If you have not yet experienced that and you're not born into it, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks and you got to open up the door of your heart and let him in and he's knocking at your door right now. And so if you hear him knocking, I want to give you an opportunity to let him in. Just keep your eyes closed. You can pray this prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need the life that you offer. I need to be connected to you. I believe that you died on the cross in my place. And so I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. And I invite you to come in through your Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out. That I would be thankful, that I would praise you, that I would follow you. Because from here on out, I'm making you the Lord of my life and I'm going to follow you. Keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand. If you're here in the room, just raise your hand. All right, awesome. Praise God. Bible says that, that when one person comes back to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Those of you who raise your hand, go back, go to your, take out your phone and text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188. Text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188. If you do that, Pastor Charles is going to reach out to you this week. He's the guy who was just up here doing the announcements a few minutes ago. And he's going to say, hey, you know, let me celebrate with you. How can I pray for you? And then he's going to share some things that can maybe help you start growing in your faith and kind of living, experiencing more of the blessedness that God has for you. Answer any questions that you might have. All right? And so I hope that if you prayed that prayer that you'll, that you'll uh, text follow to that number. We're going to close the service. We've got some prayer
ministry people who are ready to pray for you. They'll be right over there. It's going to be socially distanced prayer, so keep your masks on, and, and, uh, but people will be happy to pray for you. I realized it was it last week or two weeks ago. I said, hey, if you're sick, come over and get prayer. And I realized, well, wait a minute. Hold on. If you're sick, you shouldn't be here. But uh, <laughs> if you are, if you're sick in your home, you know, I hope you put it on the, on the prayer request, and we will pray for you. But I just had a sense that maybe some of you are here right now. Um, you might, you know, just came here with heavy hearts because maybe you're, you're aware of some really hard situations, some challenges. And so we want to pray with you that God would really encourage you and speak to you and, and, and maybe just fill you with his spirit so you can leave here rejoicing and, and giving God praise in the midst of the hard circumstances that you're facing. Maybe part of it has just been some relational challenges. You've been with family, there are issues, there are things going on, and maybe that's what's been weighing you down. And so I just had a sense that, that there's somebody here that, um, that could you some prayer for that. Um, I think there's someone, I just have a sense of the Lord just prompting me with some things. You're really nervous about your job. You're like kind of, you know, you kind of came this far, but you're not sure what the next few weeks and months are going to hold. And there's a lot of anxiety about that. And so we want to pray for you that God will, will give you peace and, and will just guide you and lead you forward. Whatever your needs are, whatever is going on, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. All right, so just head right over here and there's going to be some people who would love to pray for you. God bless you guys. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. And don't forget, life groups resume this week. Go see Charles if you need to get the material. He'll be at the welcome table. God bless you and have a great week and talk to your soul. Tell it to give thanks and praise to God.